Thank you, Cookie, for that testimony. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter. For those of you that uh, may be uh, here today and haven't been in the last few weeks, uh, we've been walking through the, the book of Philippians. We're uh, now in the fourth chapter in the final verses, and we want to conclude with a message that uh, uh, the Apostle Paul concludes with. And uh, with all of the abundance of grace, Paul wants to be thankful. And so today I've entitled the message, Thank You for Your Support. And so Philippians chapter 4, in verses 14 through 20, the Apostle Paul gives to us perhaps uh, the greatest thank you message in all of Scripture. So let's stand together as we read and honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says, Notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with my afflictions. Now ye Philippians know also that the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all abound, and I am full, having received Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, as we read and hear the reading of your word this morning, we are reminded that we too need to be filled with a heart full of gratitude. Gratitude for the grace that God has bestowed upon all who will receive. Gratitude for the blessings of life that he has given to us. Blessings for the opportunity to give back to you. Lord, now I pray that you would move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross as I share this message from you that the Apostle Paul shared to the Philippian church. May it speak to our church today, your church. And may, Lord, our hearts be encouraged as we team together for the work of reaching the lost. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You know, there are a lot of philosophies in this world for coping with life that people have shared with us over the years that the truth is most of them are so confusing that they're not very helpful. Interestingly enough, there are clear enough to be understood usually end up focusing more upon self and the attention on individuals. I want you to consider what some of the philosophies of the world are. Greece said, be wise, know yourself. Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Epicureanism says, be sensual, enjoy yourself. Psychology says, be confident, assert yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, Please yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. 
Humanism says be capable. Believe in yourself. But the best of them all is found in Christianity. For Christianity says be a steward. Give of yourself. You know, at the heart of Christianity is the heart of giving. We know that because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We are never more like God than when we give. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. The world's thought is get all you can. But in order for us to be less like the world and more like Christ, we must give all that we can. As Christians, we're called to support the work of the gospel. And we do that through our finances and through our prayers and through our fellowship with fellow believers. Every mission we support as a church has a gospel witness to it. So you can rest assured that when you give and we give through the church, you're indeed supporting the gospel message, not only locally, but around the world. However, I don't know if you know that it's estimated that 7.75 billion people live in the world today. Of that 7.75 billion, 3.23 billion of them live in what's considered unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to the Joshua Project, there is approximately 17,446 unique people groups in the world with 7,400 plus of them considered unreached. In other words, over 41% of the world's population. The vast majority, 85% of these least reached groups, exist in what uh, folks have called the 1040 window. And what that means is less than 10% of the missionaries' work is done among these people. Now, this next video you're going to watch explains it a whole lot better than I can. So I thought we would watch it and, and, and learn together. So. What, what is, is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. 
That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. that I talk about that is because the Apostle Paul had a heart for unreached people groups. The Apostle Paul being one of the first missionaries that went to people that had no church, no religious background, and no gospel presentation. And he preached the gospel. And he won people to Christ. The Apostle Paul being one of those missionaries that went from place to place with the purpose of sharing the gospel, starting the church, and then moving on. Wanted you and I to know, uh, as he wrote to the Philippian church, that without the support of these fine Christian folks, he would not have been able to accomplish the task that he had accomplished. And today, the message is a message of encouragement. And I hope a message of uh, uh, motivation as well. Encouragement to be reminded that the Apostle Paul is filled with thanksgiving and gratitude towards the gifts that have come his way. But yet also a great reminder as to what those gifts do when we give. So why is this important for us to support the gospel financially? This morning I want to look at five things in this passage of Scripture tells us happens when you and I, as these Philippians did, supported the gospel with your finances. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to you, as well as a way for you to grow in the grace of giving to the Lord, so that you might be a part of that great work. So when we support the gospel with our finances, the first thing that we do is we further spread the gospel. In verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul reminds us that that as he shares with them, that as they gave, they gave for the purpose so that the Apostle Paul could go to other places and share the gospel. 
When you support the gospel with your finances, you further spread the gospel from house to house, city to city, from state to state, and country to country. Paul recalls back how the Philippian church supported him financially in his earliest days. He said that while he was still uh, uh, there and he departed Macedonia, that they were there. When he went next door to Thessalonica, they sent unto him time and again financial support. He says in the early days of their acquaintance with the gospel, they, they helped him start the work of starting churches. They themselves getting started as a church themselves, yet made it a priority to support the work of the gospel through Paul. They were partners in the gospel with him from the very beginning. This should teach all of us that we should begin financial support with the, uh, of the gospel as soon as possible. It's not something that we grow into. It should be something that is a basic part of our Christian commitment. God calls you and I to give generously of our finances so that we can further the work of the gospel. Paul called the fellowship of giving, sharing in my afflictions. Paul experienced the troubles of persecution and trials while spreading the gospel. And many of our missionaries today struggle. They struggle with the governments in which they have to work in. They struggle within the cultures in which they have to work in. They struggle to share the gospel. And when you and I give and we support our missionaries, we are, we are supporting in their affliction. We're sharing in that affliction. Paul, the apostle, experienced the trouble financially and was thankful for their support of the gospel. You know, the truth is the Philippian church was not a wealthy church by any means. We know that because the Apostle Paul reminds us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And where he writes in verses 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, we do not wit of the grace of God that is bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, meaning the financial gifts, how that it was a great trial of affliction and abundance of your joy and their deep poverty abound unto riches of your liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they are willing of themselves, praying us much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. The Apostle Paul was talking about the Philippian church. And so they were struggling themselves, but yet, even in the midst of their financial struggles, they saw the value of, of helping share the gospel to unreached people groups of the world. The Philippians shared with Paul and others out of their extreme poverty. They pleaded for the privilege of sharing in the service of the saints. And Paul says this was a good thing. As a matter of fact, in, in Philippians, he says that you have done well. You could also translate this words as you've done a good deed to share in my troubles. What a great job you're doing. Paul encourages the Philippian church for their financial sacrifice. And we learn from these verses that when Paul first left Macedonia to spread the gospel to other regions that they were, in fact, the only church that was giving to his cause of preaching the gospel. We also, today, as a church, 
are privileged to share in this whole matter of giving and receiving of our missionaries. When we commit to our financial support, we enter into a relationship with our missionaries where we support them and the work of the gospel with our finances and with our prayers. It is a sacred fellowship we belong to because it makes us partners in the gospel together. We will never be able to fulfill the great commission in which we are called to in Matthew 28 without a shared sacrifice for the furtherance of the gospel. This is the first encouragement to you today, church, to give and continue to give to the Lord's work. When you support the gospel with your finances, you're furthering the spread of the gospel. For the last several weeks that I've showed videos on every Sunday morning about mission work here in North Carolina. North Carolina Baptists do mission work not only in North Carolina, but in every state in the Union and in many countries around the world. North Carolina Baptists, just like you. Financially, they are supported and their ministry is supported by a once-a-year offering that is taken in September. You say, well, Pastor, I don't ever remember us taking an offering. That's what I wanted to remind you. We don't take an offering for North Carolina Baptist Missions because you have chosen to put it in your budget as a line item. You have chosen to make sure that that is a ministry, that is a missionary movement that is supported by our church. And for years, we have supported their work. And for years, we have been part of the blessings of North Carolina Missions. As a matter of fact, I am a product of North Carolina Missions. You know, some of our newer folks have never heard my story of how I got here. See, I'm a Yankee. I lived in upstate New York, and I was content to live in the cold tundra of, uh, of wastelands of New York. It's where I grew up. So definitely. And I got a fellow New Yorker, Dan. Uh, he knows what I'm talking about. But we had a partnership with North Carolina Baptist. Specifically, we had a partnership with Three Forks Association in Watauga County. My association where I pastored in New York partnered with them. We were small, struggling churches. Many of our churches were 20 people or, or up to 50 to 60. And so we needed help. North Carolina Baptist came to New York to help do many things. Build churches, do vacation Bible schools, um, encourage pastors. So we decided in, in our little association, that a group of us decided that you know what, it's really not a partnership. If we never give back, if we only receive and never give. So we decided that we wanted to give back to and be a part and make a sacrifice. And so a group of us decided to get together and come down to North Carolina to do something for North Carolina. And so we called a three-fourths association that we were partnered with and said, what can we come and do? And they gave us a project and then said, if you've got any pastors that are sitting around doing nothing, <laughs> funny. They said, send them down and we'll have them preach spring revival. So I came with our group of men, preached revival, and the church that I preached and that God called me to, to 
preached that week, called me to pastor their church. Two months later, I moved to North Carolina. If it hadn't been for North Carolina missions, I'd have never known about North Carolina and what y'all do and about what God was doing in and through North Carolina Baptists. You see, the reality is that missions is not just a project. It is people. Missions are missionaries. Missionaries are people who have given to themselves to do what God's called them to do. The Apostle Paul wanted to encourage the church and thank them because they were partners together in the gospel. Where they couldn't go and preach to unreached people groups, Paul could. Where they could sacrifice and make a financial gift to help them to do it, they partnered together to accomplish the task. The second thing that we want to learn and be encouraged about today is the fact is found in verse 16. Your supply meets the needs of Christian workers. As you supply the needs of Christian workers by your giving, when you support the gospel with your finances, you don't just support a project. You support the people. The Apostle Paul didn't say, thank you for supporting the gospel. He also said, thank you for supporting me as I preach the gospel. See, it wasn't that the money was given to buy the gospel. The money was given so that they could continue to teach the gospel. When Paul began his ministry, the Philippian church was the first to say, we see an investment worthy of investing in, in you. What is remarkable about this is Paul began his ministry in a, a, a city, a, a place right next to Philippi. Immediately after he left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, which was a neighboring region. Paul had not even left Macedonia yet before the Philippian church had invested in Paul sure that they were helping in his time of need. The people we support in the missions are real people. Just like you and me, they have real needs. They're not these superhuman people that don't need anything and the financial, you know, manna falls from heaven and, and, and everything is good. They require food. They require clothing, medical attention, rest, relaxation, and support for their own families. Trust me, none of them are getting rich off of what we're paying them to be out in the mission field. As partners in the gospel, we have the privilege of meeting their needs and making sure that they are well provided for. Let me encourage you. We need to be faithful in our giving. Because our giving not only supports to keep the lights on and to keep the, uh, the ability to be able to share the gospel from this pulpit, but your giving goes into a collective pool of cooperative programs that give to the work of the ministry around the world. And I want you to understand that when we give to missions, we're not just giving to a project. We're giving to support people 
to do the work. One of our missionaries that we fund outside of our normal North Carolina Baptist missionaries is a young man and his wife in the, in the Philippines. Jimmy's been here to speak, and he has shared uh, the work over there, and he sends me an email regularly with pictures of the work that they do. In a country where poverty is, is over the top, the little bit of money that we give, he tells me, he says he buys food so that he can go out to little villages and he can put in day camps where he feeds 40 to 100 kids. And in that process of that day of feeding them a meal, it may be the only hot meal that they get all week, he shares the gospel with them. And young people are hearing the love of Christ. And many are coming to know Christ, and he is baptizing and developing churches all across the area. That's a real person doing real work with your money. You see, when we give, we're not just supporting a project. We're supporting people so they can continue to share the gospel. The third thing that we learn and encouragement that we get from this is that found in verse 17, when you give, you store up treasures in heaven. Thirdly, when you uh, support the gospel with your finances, you're not just supporting the gospel, you're not just supporting a missionary. The wonderful thing is that you're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Once again, Paul clarifies his motives. He, he tells us here in verse 17 that, that he's not seeking financial support. He's not looking for more money. He simply wants to remind us that he is grateful for the financial support that he has received. He's not bringing it up because he's looking for a bigger donation. He's bringing it up because he wants the church to know how much he appreciates their giving. Paul is more interested in, in reminding them that they have a spiritual benefit from giving than they do a material benefit from receiving. You know, the Bible tells us that it is better to give than it is to receive. There's more benefit in it. Financial support of the gospel has a strange accounting procedure. What you give of the God for the gospel gets credited back to your account. Your debts become credits in God's house. When Paul speaks about the, the he says that you may abound to your account. The original language actually says your fruit is increasing. Your fruit is growing. This is a phrase that refers to a compound interest in New Testament times. When you give to the gospel, you are not just spending, you're investing. You're investing in the kingdom of God. The Bible reminds us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, lay out for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves can break in and steal. But lay them up in heaven. All of those things are, are, are there for your benefit. 
And they don't just remain there. They're earning compound interest. There was another video that I looked at that, that I wanted to show, but I wanted to make sure I didn't run out of time, so I didn't put it up. But it simply said, the question, asked the question, would you rather receive a million dollars in a lump sum or a penny for the next compounded for the next 365 days? Which would you take? A smart person who knows math would say the penny. Because a million dollars sounds like a lot, but if you take one penny and compound it uh, by 365 days, you end up with, I think it was $17.6 million or some ridiculous, or $4.6 million, I think that's what it was. $4.6 million. One penny compounded every day. Tied that together to say, listen, would you rather do a, a, a gospel presentation to a thousand people once a year, or would you rather have one person reach one person each day of the year? How many days do you think, or how long do you think it would take to reach um, the world if we, if we did um, a thousand people in a group setting every day? 340-some years. Beyond our lifetime. But here's the cool part. If we win one, and that one wins one, in a compounded time, we can reach the world in 36 years. You see, the reality is, when we look at investing in heaven the way that God says, the compound interest is so over-amazing. When God says that he, when we give, and we store up our, our treasures in heaven, it's compounding our, 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 our blessings. So let me ask you, how is your heavenly account looking these days? What does your heavenly ledger look like compared to what you're investing in this world? Everything in our earthly ledger, you will eventually lose. But everything that you give to God, you will never lose ever lose. That's our third encouragement for this morning. When you support the gospel with your finances, you are storing up treasures in heaven that you will never, ever lose. Then in verse 18, we find that the fourth one is when we give financially, your gift is an act of worship. In verse 18, he reminds us that that Epaphroditus has come, and, and it's just been an overwhelming wonderfulness to the Apostle Paul. Paul moves from an accounting imagery to that of sacrifice. There is a spiritual dimension to giving that he does not want the Philippian church to miss. The gifts from Philippi were not only supplied the needs of Paul, but they also were pleasing sacrifices of worship unto God. The Apostle Paul says in verse 18, they are like a fragrant odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable to God. 
And he wants them to understand that the gifts that they have given are a sacrifice laid out on the altar to the glory of God. Now Paul brings back to his Old Testament teachings, referring to the Old Testament offering of grain and animal offerings to God. And it is said that when we did that, there was a sweet aroma that ascended up that was pleasing to the Lord. This language of sweet offerings unto God is a metaphoric language that is used throughout the Old Testament. And I wanted to just remind you of a few so that you'd see where I was coming from. David says that the sacrifices that are acceptable to God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Paul urged the Romans believers to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. The writer of Hebrews exhorts his readers to continually to offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. He want, Also in Hebrews 13 verse 16 he adds, and do not neglect doing the good and sharing, for with such sacrifices are God, or to God please him. And now here in Philippians, Paul wants them to understand that they haven't simply given just some money. He wants them to understand that they have done something that God will not miss. When you and I give when you and I support the, the, the work of the gospel, I want you to understand that you don't do it in secret. You might do it in secret from the fellow brethren around you, but God never misses what we give. God always takes note of it. God wants us to know that it is an act of our personal worship. It wasn't a financial withdrawal, it was a spiritual worship. Paul would want you to understand that your gift wasn't just related to your wealth. It's related to your worship. You built an altar and you placed that precious gift and brought a fragrant aroma that it becomes pleasing in the presence of God. As Paul said, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So when you and I support the gospel, you're ultimately giving not to the missionary or to the missionary's job, but you're giving to God. Yes, you're furthering the spread of the gospel. Yes, you're supplying the need of Christian workers. But worship is your primary reason for giving. This must come first. In the long run, Christian giving is not measured primarily about your financial value but by the giver's heart towards God. We know that to be true because Jesus told us that when he was in the temple one day, he and his disciples were standing back and they were watching people bring money into the temple. And the rich were coming and they were dropping their coins, doing, 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 making a show. But he said there was this one little widow woman and he said, boys, look at her. And she dropped in her little coin and it barely made a sound. 
But what Jesus said next reverberates throughout history. Jesus said, boys, all of those other people gave out of their abundance. They didn't miss it. But she gave out of everything she had. She didn't just give an offering. She gave it all. She made a sacrifice. And Jesus was saying that is a sacrifice of praise unto me. You see, the Bible reminds us that as we give, we should give out of our heart, not out of our wallet. Because when we give out of our wallet, we tend to say, well, I got to pay, and I got to pay, and I got to pay, and I got to pay. But when we give out of our heart, we say, I get to give. I get to give because he has given me everything. This is our fourth encouragement in Christian giving this morning. When you support the gospel with your finances, your gift is an act of your worship. When you leave this morning or when you came this morning and you gave and you put your offering in the plates back there, as a matter of fact, I had a visitor last week ask me, he said, wait a minute, where do I give? You guys didn't take an offering. I said, you're right. I forgot to mention that as you come in and as you leave, you get to give your offering and your tithes and your gift up to God as an act of your worship. the gospel. You're worshiping God. And now Paul adds a, a, another wonderful encouragement to that very sediment. He talks to these needy Philippian believers that were living in poverty themselves, but gave out of their heart. In verse 19, Paul says, when we give, your gift is met with a promise. But what is that promise? Well, look at what it says. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you might be saying this morning, with all this talk of giving sacrificially for the gospel, someone here might ask the question, what will happen to my own needs if I support the work of the gospel financially? We have a wonderful promise from God here. A wonderful word of assurance that God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. And I hope that you can testify to that. I know I can. And my God has been faithful. When I made a lot of money and when I made a little money, God was always faithful to meet our needs. He didn't give us our wants, but he met our needs. He is faithful. He has promised to do just that, and he keeps his promise. Paul knows that he can't repay the Philippians for their gracious gifts to him, but he knows God can. Notice how he 
describes God here. He says, my God. He said, I know that God is faithful. I know that my God who takes care of me, my God who has met all of my needs, my God who has been there whenever I needed him, my God who's bigger than all of our needs, he can meet your needs because he has shown us his abundance of his grace. It's out there. It is his riches in Christ Jesus. His supply is infinite, and he can meet your needs. God will not just merely meet some of your needs. He promises to meet all of your needs. God has whatever you need for any situation. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, my situation is financial. Let me remind you that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and by the way, he owns the hills as well. Maybe your need this morning is emotional. I want you to know that God gave us the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to meet every emotional need that we have. God will fill you with the fruit of his spirit and with the grace that he possesses. Maybe you need guidance this morning or direction. God promises in James that he will give wisdom to any one of us that seeks it. There's nothing that you need to know that God doesn't know. And he says, if you come and ask, I will show you. Maybe you need protection today. Maybe the devil, maybe somebody else is pushing in on your territory. I want you to know that God promises to watch over his children. God promises to care for his children. He will guard his children. Maybe you're here this morning and you need the greatest gift of all. Maybe you need salvation. Grace gives us the greatest gift of all. It leads us to the door where we can choose to receive the salvation that God has so freely given to everyone that will believe. What is your need this morning? Whatever it is, God promises that he has the abundance to meet your need. All we have to do is call out to him. This is a wonderful encouragement towards us as Christians. Did you ever think that giving could bring so many blessings, so many wonderful things by just giving something away? When you support the gospel with your finances, God promises he will be with you to meet all your needs. So let me close by tying verse 20 into everything that Paul says. Now unto our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul ends this section with tying it all together and says, listen, because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, because of your love for the gospel, because you have the heart of God to give so that others can know Jesus, there are certain blessings that you will receive 
There's certain promises that you will get. There's certain help that you will find along the way. But to tie it all together, it will be to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul reminds us here, and in, in, in he would put together in the doxology, there are three parts to it. The who, the what, and the how. The who is our God and our Father who meets all of our needs through His riches in Christ Jesus. The who is that God has given unto us Jesus Christ that we might take Him to the world and we might share the hope of salvation with a lost and dying world. It's not only done by what we do, but it's done by how we support others as they do. The what. The what is found in His glory. All glory goes to God. You see, we don't write our missionaries and say, oh, make sure you tell them about Midway's giving to you so that you can tell them about our name. No, we give and say to God be the glory. May He use His gift to honor, to glorify, to reach, to manifest the hope of salvation to the lost and dying world. We want God to be glorified. If they don't ever remember our name, it's okay. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. And then the how is really about how long. In this doxology, listen to it again. Now unto God and our Father be glory, here it is, forever and ever and ever. Amen. How long do we want God to be glorified? Forever. Forever. You see, you and I might be looking at heaven as the escape from the hell of this world. But the reality is heaven is an opportunity for us to glorify God forever and ever and ever. It is a way that we can say, Lord, while I walked this earth, I couldn't repay you in the debt that I owed. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to spend eternity glorifying you forever and ever and ever. I believe this is a fitting close, not only to this section, but to this book, to this letter. The bottom line is this. When you and I support the gospel, the work of the gospel goes forth. People are saved. And God will be glorified forever and ever and ever. Let us never forget, people need to hear the gospel. Who cannot be saved apart from the knowledge of what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. Precious generations have sacrificed so much for the gospel to get us to this point. It's our turn to carry the torch until Jesus comes or we pass it on to the next generation. We need to make our financial support of the gospel the highest priority 
in our personal lives as well as our church life. There's no greater investment, no greater return than supporting the gospel with the finances that God has blessed us with. And may God's people say, to God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we bow before you this morning, thank you. Thank you for the gift of grace that has given us the opportunity to receive salvation, to know that our depths of our sins have been forgiven, and that Christ paid it all. It's done. Now, Father, as we continue to share, as we continue to support, as we continue to give, Lord, we ask, that, Father, that we would know that you are blessing every gift, not only here on earth, but when we give, it is compounded interest in heaven for us. But Lord, as a sweet smell of worship, sweet savor unto your nostrils, let our giving be out of an act of worship, not out of an act of compulsion. May our hearts be moved with the same compassion and the same desire that you have. We give that none should perish, but that all should have opportunity to receive Christ. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to the needs of the body of Christ right here, I pray in this time of quiet, Lord, if there are those with needs, may they know that you are the God who supplies all of our needs through the riches of your glory. Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you as Savior, in just the next moments, may they just respond and say, God, I need you. I need your salvation. I need that change in grace. Lord, would you have your will done in the next couple of moments as your people stand?